Jennifer Zapparelli. Weekday morning from 9 on 2FM. Well, we go to something that you do know about. Um, not, what, what would that be? Big and bad. Your little segment called Back in Time. Uh, look, look at, at look oh, at. So <laughs> uh, around this time every week, we do our thing. It's called Back in Time. It's Cormac's thing, and it's really simple. Uh, Cormac gets a random year and reminds us about the big showbiz, the news stories that emerged during those 12 months. We're going way, 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 way back to 1993. 1993, Jen. I've got a couple of questions for you to, mm. to test your knowledge. What do you think the average house price was in 1993? The average house price... In 1993, oh, yeah, I in Ireland. 250 grand. 250 grand. 69. What? 69,000 for a house, average house in Ireland in 1993. 69,000. 69, 69, yeah. I know. Wow. Price of a pint of Guinness, how much is that? And you'd probably be a bit closer with this. 250. That's not bad. 224. Mm. 224. Just give you an idea. The housing is pretty shocking though, isn't it? <laughs> I'm still... <laughs> Actually shocking. Yeah. It is absolutely shocking. Holy moly. Anyway, that's a whole different conversation. So, um, well, well, let's start with the big news, Jen, of 1993. And this was a big one in Ireland at the time. I don't know if you remember this, but it, it, the Shannon stopover ended that year. Now, okay, let me tell you what the Shannon stopover is or was. In the 40s, the government designated Shannon Airport as Ireland's only transatlantic gateway, which meant, this is kind of mad, any flight coming from the US had to land in Shannon before it went to Dublin. All, 100%. Why? Because it was a, a to develop, it was reckoned it was bringing a lot of business and employment to the area. Shannon was a kind of like an industrial zone and it was an idea to kind of like reinvigorate the that part of, would you call it the Midwest? So all planes coming to America or going to America had to land in Shannon from Dublin. So you'd take off in Dublin, 40 minutes later, you'd land in Shannon and you'd get out, maybe have a pint of Guinness, get on the plane again and off you go to America. Amazing. Any plane coming from America would have to do the same thing. Isn't that incredible? It's an, uh, it sounds like an awful pain in the hoop. It, it, well, it was a bit of a Panama hoop for a while, but... Uh, the, you know, uh, but there was a lot of resistance around abolishing this kind of kind of mad rule. Uh, have a listen to this: this is the the then Minister of State Willie O'Dea on the importance of the mandatory <laughs> stopover to the region. Okay. I, I'm not 100 percent sure what he's on about here, okay, but have a listen. Have a listen. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, the Shannon stopover, the compulsory stopover at Shannon, its effects and the pro- uh, its, its its impact on the province which Alingus has is minuscule, infinitesimal, and nobody has made any case to me uh, that that that. That he's more than that. <laughs> Not 100%. He's talking about the stopover somewhere in there, but um, he didn't want it to go away, basically. But it did go away. But it was on, only half half the flights coming to Ireland after 1993 still had to land in Shannon until 2008. So, you know, it was a bit random. You had to go land in Shannon. Oh my God. Some people would just get off. I don't know if this is my imagination or it really happened, but I think schools used to go on school trips where you would go on your bus to Dublin, get on a plane to Shannon, just so you could get a go on a plane, mm-hmm. over yeah. to, down to Shannon, get off the plane, then get on the bus and back to school. And that was a day trip. I think that really happened in real was life. Was anybody on that day trip? Uh, yeah, please. Yeah, I'd love to know if that was true, if uh, that really did happen. What else was going on in the world, Cormac? Well, 1993 was a time when... Um, 
news events could be watched 24 hours a day and this was one of the big ones this is a, this is a, uh, a very big deal around the world at the time it was the Waco siege in Texas now this is a, an incident that was um, happened it unfolded across 51 days and everybody was watching it and to give you a bit of background on February the 28th of 1993 80 US agents raided a religious compound near Waco in Texas after the cult called the Branch Davidians run by the infamous David Koresh Mm. were thought to be stockpiling guns. So there was about 100 people in this compound, uh, men, women and kids, mainly mainly women and children. So when they went in, they they had loads and loads of guns um, as they do in America. Uh, In this initial battle, 10 people got killed uh, that day and a ceasefire was called and then the siege began. So the the, uh, the FBI and all the law enforcement, a thousand of them outside, um, playing playing music, really loud music, to try and disturb them. Um, and this went on for, for for day after day after day. There was some progress made when twenty children were released in exchange for food. However, um, David Koresh announced he was waiting for a message from God, and then he would come out with everybody unharmed. Now the FBI didn't believe him. And on April the 19th, 51 days later, they stormed the compound with two tanks firing tear gas all over the place. Fires broke out all over um, uh, Waco, the compound in Waco, and an inferno uh, engulfed the place, killing 76 people, including 25 kids. It was awful. David Koresh's body was found inside with a gunshot wound, suggesting he took his own life before the FBI um, uh, went in. So no survivors? There were, uh, about 10 people got out um, because the, the fire spread so quickly and there was all sorts of investigations whether the FBI had, had made big mistakes in, in all that and uh, as you'd imagine but this here's a clip well, of it a, seemed a re- to have handled it really badly well, if there was only that, two- yeah, some people would say it was handled very very badly indeed or some people say that you know it was un- un- unav- David unavoidable Koresh. so David Koresh this is a rare interview he's a very charismatic guy uh, as our cult leaders but this is a rare interview with David Koresh well before the siege kicked off and it shows you where his head was at and how he influenced vulnerable people around him who thought he was the son of God well you know what they think of me they think I'm the son of God do they? yeah is he the son of God? I hope he is I will declare the creed the Lord has said unto me thou art my son this day have I begotten thee hmm Someone's the son of God. So yeah, he he was uh, a dangerous he thought, man. Yeah, he, he was a very dangerous man. But uh, just finally, Jen on David Koresh, it's estimated he'd he'd had sixteen children with twenty wives that he had in the uh, compound uh, at, by the time the siege happened in 1993. Okay. So uh, yeah, very sad stuff. story. Very sad story. Uh, okay, let's move on to this tennis star. Yeah, tennis star. This is not, this is a uh, this is not uh, all laughs either. But like tennis star Monica Seles, um, I don't know if you remember her. She was a Yugoslav American tennis player who, up until 1993, had won eight Grand Slam titles, and she was only 19 at the time. So she was a huge, huge, huge um, uh, tennis star. But in April of that year, she was sitting down during a break in a match in Hamburg when a man leaned over the fence right behind her and stabbed her right between the shoulders. Oh, my God. With um, a knife, um, a boning knife. So uh, it went in about two inches between the... uh, So obviously she um, fell to the ground and, you know, she didn't know what would happen. The man was called... 
Gunter Parch, and he was described as a, a disturbed loner who was obsessed with another tennis giant at the time, Steffi Graf. Oh, yeah. So why he did it, he said he stabbed Celes so that Graf could become number one again. So he wanted to, he said he didn't want to kill her, but he wanted to stop her in her tracks because she was getting all the limelight and he was obsessed with Steffi Graf. So she was taken to hospital. Um, she eventually recovered from her physical injuries, but was, was left with terrible emotional scars and didn't play again. Uh, professionally for another two years. You'd be so fearful and triggered oh walking God. onto any court with those crowds. It'd be awful. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm surprised she ever went back yeah. at all. But she did. She did talk about it some years later, and this is what she had to say about that incident. Okay. So I was just sitting down and leaning forward, and then that's when I suddenly just said, I felt a sharp pain in my back, and I looked back and, and I saw a person, you know, having his hand and a knife, and then oh my, this guy put a knife in my back. So that's her telling the story, able to tell the story some years later. So she, unfortunately, she, after the incident, not surprisingly, she suffered with depression and mm. she was, uh, she had um, a binge eating disorder at the time. And now she's, uh, what she does is um, she raises awareness for uh, this binge eating disorder that she developed as a result of that okay. incident that happened on the court in Hamburg back in 1993. Um, okay, let's go a little lighter and talk yes. about the showbiz story the of 1993. This is the best ever. This is the best ever. This is when Boyzone make their debut debut appearance on the Late Late Show. Like I've heard, I, I'd heard all about this. I don't don't really remember it because I wasn't really into the whole Boyzone thing at the time. Um, but they so so Boyzone had been put together, and they hadn't even recorded any material or anything at this point. And they just played. So so they were on the Late Late Show, and uh, Gabe was talking to them. Um, and they just played some dance music in the background and the lads didn't sing or anything. They just, just started lurching around the place, dancing around and that was it. Um, and there was, I didn't know this, there was six fellas and boys on first. Did you know that? You yeah. probably knew that, did yeah. you? Yeah, it was the talk of the schoolyard. Yeah, so I, I was in first year and I remember walking home from school on the Monday and we were all talking about the Late Late Show that Friday and these lads and we were kind of laughing and sniggering and but kind of going oh we were kind of willing for them to do well we thought this was amazing as embarrassing and cringy as it was on the night they opened up the door really for for, for so Westlife many for even. Westlife for themselves and they, something changed when they went on it, that Late it, Show I know late something show. It really did, but it was completely cringy to watch. It's unbelievable to watch. Um, Especially when you look back. Jeez, when you look back, because to be honest, I'd actually never seen it until I was, you know, researching this piece here. Um, So one of the guys who was in the band was Dickie Rock's son. Yeah. Richie Rock, and he he left, I think, over musical differences. And another chap called Mark Walton was in the band as well, Mm -hmm. who went on to manage Blue and Fifth Avenue and work with Jennifer Lopez and Enrique Iglesias. He did well for himself. But... This, so like, this is the boys on, on that famous Late Late Show appearance, just before, well, just after being put together. And Gay's kind of laughing at Oh, this is unreal. You know the way everyone says everyone's amazing these days, and oh, you're fab, you're good, you're, everyone, nobody says anything bad about anyone anymore. But Gay Byrne invites the audience to comment on what they've just seen with the boys dancing around the place. It's kind of mean-spirited, to be honest, even by my standards, but it's brilliant at the same time. Just listen to this. Yeah, I was just wondering, like, you know the way they say that take that is it? just a marketing yeah. package? That's right. Very well marketed. Yes. Is this going to be the this same thing? This is exactly the same, yes. Yeah. They go into, you know, or is, it, well, is there some realistic talent? Or no, there's, there's no talent whatsoever. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> they've, no, they've no talent whatsoever. They don't sing, they don't, they don't write music, and they don't play instruments, and they, they're probably very successful. We've got one great talent, though. Yeah. 
We're all Irish and we're off in Dublin. Yeah, there you go. Ronan Keating saying that? No, it wasn't. It was, uh, I think it was Keith Duffy. Was it? Good on him. Uh, listen. But it's unbelievable, isn't Everything it? Everything makes sense now. The reason Keith Duffy is, he always talks about uh, being shunned by the Irish press and media because he had that experience when he was in his, I don't that think was he the, was in his 17, he was in his 20s. That was first media, like first, first television media. appearance. That sounds when you listen back, it is so mean it, it, to it, do it, that to those it, young lads. So I think they went on a bit of a crusade to prove everybody wrong. And my God, did they prove everybody wrong with their hits? But, well, absolutely. They wanted to sell 25 million records. Yeah. They um, did okay for themselves. But, they did okay. But in fairness to Gay as well, he wasn't afraid to call it as it was at the time. You know, if you look at it, the lads are just up there dancing around and that's all it is there's nothing else going on it wasn't and their fault though they were I mean they should have been it was Louis Walsh manager of the band I think he was he should have yeah. like there was no management there but your Louis he was, was probably quite an experience himself at the time yeah but don't say like give them a bit of preparation even get them to mime which they so often do on the Late Late Show get them to mime something like that is throwing them to the it sharks was, yeah it was it, but, but look, I, I think Gay sort of called it as it was and you, you you don't see that really anymore because I don't know because you get cancelled or I don't know what happens but it, well, it, it probably, was harsh so it was you, pretty harsh it was pretty harsh but it did give them the thick skin they needed so early on in their career that they needed to be have any kind of longevity in the music industry. Well, maybe it was the the, the trigger point to go. Well, I'm gonna sh- we're going to show these well, people. If this is, you if this can is laugh base, at us now. You laugh at us now. Camp, we'll yeah, see. Exactly. If this is what it's going to be like, my God, are we going to fight hard? And my God, are we going to prove you wrong? And I think because maybe some artists these days are um, mollycoddled too much, and you know there's too much fluff, and we mind them too much. I mean, the reality is, like this is going to happen to them at some stage in their career. Better to happen on your yeah, first that's a, night. That's, that's, that's so the you get a early, taste. early doors get you a get kick a taste. in the kahunas. Get a kick mean? in the kahunas. There's yeah. nothing like a kick in the mouth. No, it yeah. You Early ha- on you in ha- your career. It, yeah, it helps. It does help, and it helped those guys 100. Oh percent It's yeah, well worth going back and watching it again. It's just Can we something do- else. I really need to hear it again. Go on then. Because I just can't get over. I didn't. I can't remember it being this mean. I was shocked. Yeah, I was just wondering, like, you know the way they say that take that is it just a marketing yeah. package? That's right. Very well marketed. Yes. Is this going to be the this same thing? This is exactly the same. Yes, yeah. they go into... You know, or is, well is there some realistic talent? Or no, there's no talent whatsoever. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> they've, no, they've no talent whatsoever. They don't sing, they don't they don't write music, and they don't play instruments. And they're, they're probably very successful. We've got one great talent, though. Yeah. We're all Irish and we're off in Dublin. Yeah, you yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> You feel sorry for him. Like he had, to, they, they had to say something. And fair play to him for saying something back to you know the greatest television host in the, in country. the country. Yeah, yeah. Standing that, up for himself. Brave. And he uh, was, in, and I think he was. Um, yeah, it was kind of topless as well at the time. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of helped. Uh, well, I suppose Gabo was stirring the pot, wasn't he? He Main certainly well. was. He knew what he was doing. I knew what sure. he was doing. He knew what he was doing. Uh, the great man Gabo. Okay, uh, the big tune. Let's talk about the big tune. Um, just hit the button. Oh, hit can I hit the button? Lyrical geniuses. It is. There's no lyrics. <laughs> There's no lyrics, did yeah. you say? <laughs> well, that's not what it's really about. But, yeah, that was the big tune in 1993. Um, Belgian Euro Dance Act. To Unlimited. Uh, yeah, I but remember you... uh, standing on, oh no, 13. No, it wasn't in McGrath at that time. Uh, I was too young. No, but definitely. I, I was in some disco 
dancing to this <laughs> with a glow stick and song. a soother it's probably some tune. it's a great tune it went to number 35 and uh, number one in 35 countries around the world would you be 35 countries, countries. yeah and uh, they, they had a few other hits after that that I can't I couldn't name one anyone anyone name another two unlimited song Anyone? No, I'm getting nothing from anyone here. No, having a clue. Um, that was a tune. That was. Well, they have tune, made a yeah. fortune. It'll be number one in 35 countries. I don't, that I, made them a load of cash, Cormac. Well, they were being played on MTV 24 hours a day. Yeah. I'd say I'd say they made loads of cash. You had gone out playing live gigs. All they have to do is go out and play that five times. Start with it. End with it. Play it in the middle of the gig as well. Make loads and loads and loads and loads of money. Yeah, absolutely. Apparently, they have another song. Graham's saying, a "Get ready." Get re- I don't know. No idea what that is. Get ready for this. Get- um, oh! He's going to come in and sing it, is he? Are you going to start sing singing? Oh, God, here we go. Bam, 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 I don't don't yeah I shouldn't have said that but go on what do you want I'd probably go for um, no limit ah yeah just because you know to get to you know to get us but let 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 let, 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 let the let the um, listeners decide it's not about me it's not about me it's no. about you guys what do you want do you want to hear a boy's own tune do you want to hear No Limit, the song of 1993, 515522? Cormac, thank you so much. You're welcome. Amazing. Jennifer Zapparelli. Weekday morning from 9 on 2FM.